tonight. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for this great church. Thank you that your words, John 16, are spirit and they are life. We know that your words, Lord, are, are alive and active according to Hebrews 4. Lord, we believe your words are life changing. We honor them. Job 23, 12. We esteem your words higher than necessary food this morning. Father, my prayer is Psalm 81, 10, that as I open my mouth wide, you fill it with your words. Lord, I know these people are not interested to hear what I have to say, but they are, they are interested to hear what you have to say. And so, Father, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to bring to you a one-time message this morning, unless I don't finish it and then it becomes a two-time message. But the goal is for it to be a one-time message, and it's entitled Dimensions. This is something we've been praying about as a staff, something we've been seeking the Lord on, something's been bubbling up in my heart and, and kind of stirring around on the inside of me. Dimensions, learning to experience God's presence. We've been talking a lot about seeking the Lord. We've been talking a lot about the presence of God. And I want to bring this to you this morning with a little twist on Christmas. I, I had this thought in my mind and I asked the Lord, how am I going to tie this in? This is Christmas. Everybody expects a Christmas message. And so the Lord gave me a way that we could tie this in this morning. How many of you have ever lost something very valuable? Am I the only one in the house? How many of you lost that something valuable and then ended up finding that something that was very valuable? But there's like 30 minutes of utter panic because it was so valuable and you can't find it. We had a moment like that just this week. Uh, I needed to write someone a check, and my wife, Tara, is the keeper of the sacred checkbook, and so I don't write checks. Uh, if I wrote them, you could not read what it was, and I think they would cash all my money because the teller couldn't read what I was trying to say. So Tara helps us out, and she writes the checkbook. And I said, honey, would you write a check for so-and-so, this and much? And she said, well, bring me my checkbook. It's in the diaper bag. Now, how I many know just because I can't find something in the diaper bag doesn't mean it's not in the diaper bag? <laughs> I swear that diaper bag, you've seen the commercials where they open the cooler and reach way down to a, another land and pull out some kind of drink or beverage. I feel like that when I'm in the diaper bag. It's like I'm digging in China here. This thing is never ending. But I couldn't find it. Is that, you feel the anointing on that? I couldn't find the checkbook in the diaper bag. And, and I, I told Tara, I said, look, pretty sure that your checkbook's in there. I just can't find it. I had my head in there. My feet were just barely, you know, I was all the way in. And so she started digging and stuff was flying out. Now, I can't throw stuff out, but when she, she could just chuck the stuff, you know, she's just chucking stuff. and chuck. We have piles in her house. So they came out of the diaper bag, and she's looking. We can't find it. And, I, and, and we've been shopping. We've been changing cars. We've been, you know, it's been a little more scattered than normal. And I've had the kids some. She's had them some. She's done things. I've done things. We've been out different vehicles. And so I said, honey, you've got to find this checkbook. Notice it was her fault at this point, you know. <laughs> Let's put the blame clearly where it goes, you know. Honey, you've got to file this checkbook because, you know, if Mary founds it at church, she's going to empty our bank account. You know how Mary is. We've got to stop this. And so I left, and then she ended up calling me, and she ended up finding it. She had moved it and put it in another place. But we thought that maybe in transition between me having the kids one night or one evening and her going out to do some shopping or uh, maybe the checkbook had fallen out of the diaper bag and we we looked for it because it was valuable to us it was very valuable to us and our family had great ramifications if we're in the hands of the wrong uh, person and that's kind of where we find our story this morning talking about the presence of God so I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 2 Matthew chapter 2 we're going to look at 
the wise men coming and bringing gifts to Jesus. Now, I'm not going to debunk everything you think you know about this story today. That's not my assignment. But I would say there's some things in this story that you probably have a different thought on that maybe happened, but that's another time. Namely, the, the wise men, as you know, we've heard it taught, but they more than likely didn't come the day Jesus was born because of the travel and he was in a house and very likely scholars say he could have been up to two years old because the king said kill all the babies under two. So we understand that there was a time frame there where they were lining that up and I just killed everybody's nativity scene right there. I'm sorry. <laughs> we, 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 uh, you know, we, we do that when we can. But let's look at Matthew chapter 2. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi, or we've called them wise men, they were they were really astronomers is what they were, and, and they were uh, wise men, Magi from the east, arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he? Where is he? They were looking for something valuable. They were looking for something that had life-changing impact. Where is he? who is born king of the Jews. For we saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. Now this star must have been unusual because in this day, this is how they noted great events or great men or great things happening was through astrology. And they noticed it was different. They had read the prophecies in the Old Testament about he would be the star and that the Lord would guide through that manner. And it says here, after hearing the king, they went on their way. We'll jump down to verse 9. And they, the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them. There was something leading them to the presence. The presence of God was now in the earth. And there was something leading them to this presence, which we know is Jesus. It says, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. Look at verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. When they saw the leading towards the presence, they rejoiced. So this new year, as we look towards 2018, God is leading us as a congregation deeper into His presence. Many of you saw the email about a church-wide fast. We wanted to give you plenty of notice. How many of you love times of fasting? <laughs> Thank you for your enthusiasm. <laughs> you saw that we're going to be begin reading the Bible through as a church throughout the whole year. How many of you love reading the Bible throughout the year? Thank you for your enthusiasm. <laughs> We, we, we're launching into this new season where as a church we're going to set our heart on seeking the presence of the Lord. We want to encourage you, just as the wise men, as they were led into the presence of the Lord, we want to encourage you that you rejoice with exceeding great joy. This is what I want us to see this morning. After coming into the house, see they weren't in the manger, they were now in a house. It says they saw the child, not the baby, not the infant, but child. It's actually a different word used than what we typically see for baby or infant. I know I just killed all of your nativity scenes again, but it's just the story. It says, when they saw the child and his mother Mary, they fell on the ground and worshipped him. The presence of the Lord demanded a response. The presence of God. Jesus was God. Even as a baby, Jesus was God. The presence of God demanded a response like Rick talked about last week. And it says, then they opened their treasures. They opened their treasures and they presented gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Because the presence was valuable, they brought gifts. So I want us to dive in this morning to some powerful principles pertaining to the presence. Do you like that? Powerful principles pertaining to the presence 
of God. And I believe this will be life-changing. I believe this is foundational to help us get where God wants us to go. I believe as a church this is absolute paramount for us to do the things God has called us to do. As a family, as a dad, as a minister, we must get this right or nothing else will line up. Nothing else will matter. So powerful principles pertaining to the presence. Number one, I want to show you this as we walk through this today. The presence of God is valuable and must be honored. The presence of God is valuable and must be honored. I'm very concerned that we have so many churches throughout our city and our country and our nation and so many Christ followers who can take or leave it when it comes to God's presence. There's not an esteem. There's not a value. One thing I love about this church is when we come in, yes, we're excited about Angela's awesome biscuits that she makes. Yes, we're excited about ham, and, and I hear rumors of all these great things because I never get to eat any of them because I'm always busy. So one might mysteriously wind up on my desk next week or the week after. We'll see. But I hear rumors of all these great things that she makes. Yes, that's awesome. Yes, we want to hang out with TC. Don't we want to hang out with TC? Man, we love TC and Sam. But more than that, we must walk into this place expecting and ready to honor and value the presence of God. That's why we do worship. Worship is not the warm-up for the preacher. I could actually fill that time with preaching. I know that's a surprise to some of you. But that, that's not just to take up time in the service. That is the way that we honor the presence of the Lord. These wise men from the east were spiritually sensitive they knew that something was different. They were discerning. And this is a pattern for us. As we approach the presence of God, it must be valued and it must be honored. That's a part of why we give. This morning, Pastor Michael led us in our giving of tithe and offerings. And that's a way that I honor the presence of the Lord. I'm going to quote a few scriptures. They won't be on the screen. I'm just going to quote them. We'll talk about these later on. But do you remember from Psalm 51, talking about valuing the presence of God. In Psalm 51, David had committed adultery. Somebody say, uh-oh. And then he covered it up with murder. Somebody say, uh-oh. So he's adulterous, he's murdered, and he's been out of fellowship with God for a year. And God sends Nathan the prophet to David, and David prays a prayer. Now this prayer is something we can take principle out of. This is not something as a New Testament follower of Christ that I would put into as far as practice, and I'll show you the scripture, but as far as principle, we can actually pull this. David said, take not your Holy Spirit from me. We understand now that as a born-again child of God, we are sealed into the day of redemption. We understand that God will never leave us and never forsake us. And so David prayed, he, you know, he prayed, create in me a clean heart. And that's something we all ought to keep our hearts sensitive before the Lord. We ought to keep that. But he said, don't take your Holy Spirit away. He said, cast me not away from your presence. David realized that his sin would separate him from God. And the presence of God was valuable to King David. Yeah. That is a principle that we must have. We must, we must value the presence of God. That's why we don't sin. It's not because we're afraid God's going to leave us or God's going to, if we sin one time too many, He's going to suck the Holy Spirit back out of the earth and we don't have access to it anymore. We don't sin. We live holy because the Bible says without holiness no man will see the Lord. We honor the presence of God in our life. Therefore, we live right and we do what's right and we repent when we mess up. Anybody in the house ever fallen? Anybody in the house ever sinned? How many of you sinned right now by not raising your hand? Thank God that he didn't just 
cast you away from His presence. Thank God His, he, when you turn to Him, He's always there to turn back to you. Thank God, but we, why do we repent? Forgiveness doesn't come when we repent. Let me, let me clarify this here. Let me travel down this road. God gave me the opportunity to receive forgiveness way before I repented. When I repent, that's not when God found out about my sin. The reason I repent is not so much for God. I repent for me. I repent for my family. Repent means to change your mind. So that when I repent, I change my mind. I'm not doing that so much so God feels better. I'm doing that so I keep my heart soft and pliable in the hands of Almighty God because I honor His presence. Does that make sense? So please repent. But not so God's not mad at you. God loves you with an everlasting love. And Romans chapter 2 and verse 4 says it's His love that draws us to repentance. So we should live a life of repentance. But we do that because we honor God and we value His presence. So we see here very clearly that we must honor and value the presence of God. First Chronicles one twenty seven says, "There's splendor and majesty that surround Him. Strength and joy are in His presence." How many of you could use a little strength? How many of you could use a little joy? Psalm sixteen eleven, show us the path of life. In Your presence is fullness of joy. So we live right, we repent, we honor God because His presence is valuable. So number one, we must honor and esteem and value the presence of the Lord. Number two. There are many dimensions of God's presence. There are many dimensions to the presence of God. And I want to talk about a few of those this morning and help us bring some understanding to this point. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, God wasn't anywhere near that? <laughs> How many of you have said that about some sermons you've heard here? Not when I was preaching, but you know. No, <laughs> no never. How many of you hear God wasn't within 100 miles of that situation? Or, you know, we say things like that. Or, or, or you may say, where was God when this happened? Like he was taking a nap or on vacation. Or there's, uh, there's a lot of, there's a secular movement going on now that says, you know, that the silence of God and all these tragedies, you know, proves his absence or his, you know, that he doesn't care or anything like that. So people, I think, have a misunderstanding of the presence of God. So number one, I want you to see this concerning the first dimension. It's the always present presence. The all, you like that? I really, when, that, when I got that, I thought, that is so good. That is very clever. Thank you, Holy Spirit. The always present presence. Scholars call this the omnipresence. But if I just stood up and said, God is omnipresent, oh, hallelujah, half of you would have checked out. O omelet what? God is an omelet what? What, what is this omelet you speak of? It's, it's the, the theological term is omnipresence. It means he is everywhere. All the time. It's the property of being present everywhere. There is a property of God's presence where God is always present. Always, all the time. He transcends space. He transcends time. There is not a molecule too small that the presence of God is not there. There's not a universe so vast that God's presence is not reigning that in and controlling that. God is always present. Now, I want to show you a short little video of a family that really had it mixed up. They thought they had lost God. And so I want to show you that, that that's not really possible. Check out this video. Pastor James, thank you so much for coming. You are welcome. I'm glad to be here. Well, we've heard from other parents that you have a lot of experience with troubled kids, and we really need some help with our kids. They are out of control. The other day, Seneca shaved the neighbor's cat. And Jensen makes G.I. Joe's soup in the microwave. 
And if you knew what happened yesterday, oh my gosh, the nightly news would be on our front lawn. Or Child Protective Services. I've been down this road before. Don't worry about it. What I'm gonna do is get to the heart of the problem. But the problem is the human heart. In their lives, we got to find out where God is. Seneca, you know why I'm here, right? Where is God? Seneca, where is God? Seneca, where is God? Jensen, quick, under the covers! Jensen, we're in big trouble now. God's missing, and they think we did it. Oh, come on. I mean, no, they didn't quite have the understanding that God is always present. The writer of Psalms said this in Psalm 139. He said, he said, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? He understood. It says, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. The psalmist understood the omnipresence of God, meaning God is always. God is here at the same time he's in China, and God's presence is in China at the same time he's uh, in Australia. And, and, and God can be with TC in a special way, and, but he can also be ministering to Bruce. And God is not limited by time or locality. God's faith is not limited by location. You can pray here in Knoxville, Tennessee for a missionary in Africa and there is no space or time in the kingdom of God and your prayers and your faith can make a difference two, 3,000 miles away. God's presence is continuous throughout all of creation. But it's not always revealed the same way in the same time to everyone. But that doesn't change the fact that God is always present. But he's not locally limited by time or space. He's everywhere. He's in every now. God is naturally present in every aspect of the order of things, in every matter. And so this is, write this down if you're taking notes. I want you to write this down. This is the presence of God that unbelievers have access to. This is the dimension of God's presence that is known to unbelievers. They can experience and they can see God in creation and they can see God in the trees. And This is the access of the dimension of God's presence they have access to. Colossians 1 says this. Colossians 1 and verse 16 declares, For by Him all things were created, both the heavens and the earth, both visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things and in Him all things. Things are held together. The Lord is always present. Now let me give you number two. There's a unique presence within believers. The unbeliever, the, the person in the world who's not made Christ their Savior, who's not been born again into the kingdom of God, they do not have access like we have to this second thing. Now they can receive it, they can be born again, but in their unrenewed state, in their sinful state, all they have access to is the dimension of God's omnipresence. There's another dimension. When you accept Christ as your Savior, this is what bonds us together. This is why we can be so different but have a love for one another. This is why the church can be made up of multi-cultures and multi-ethnicities and multi-genders because there's a common bond on the inside of you that is now on the inside of me. And we have a unique presence within believers. When you're born again, God makes a deposit in you. See, He's with the world. 
but he's in me. The presence of God lives inside of me. Do you remember John 20? And I believe it's verse 20. Jesus said this to them, and he showed the disciples his hands and his side, and, and, and they rejoiced when they saw the Lord. In verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. The Father has sent me, I send you. And, and it says in verse 22, when he said this, he breathed. He breathed his presence into them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Galatians 2.20 says that we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ lives in me. He is the hope of glory. Galatians 4.19, Paul prayed that Christ would be formed in you. We carry the Spirit of God on the inside of us. We have a unique access to the dimension of God's presence that the world does not have without receiving Christ. Hebrews 13, 5, He will never leave us nor forsake us. That's not a promise for the unregenerated heart. That's a promise for those who've been saved and, and purchased by the Lord and those who've given their life to Christ. That's a promise for me because I'm a believer. God will never leave me and He'll never forsake me. So that's two dimensions of God's presence. I want to show you the third dimension of the presence of the Lord. This is one of my favorites here. Number three, Jared, you'll see that on the screen. There's a special manifested presence of God when the church comes together in the church now the church we know it's not a building we know the church is people we know the church is people and we know the church can gather in a home the church can gather at Starbucks that's not a bad idea praise the Lord we are the church church is the body of Christ it's made up of the people of God there is a special presence available when we come together to worship when we come together to honor the Lord and sing praises and pray for one another there's a special tangible manifest presence of God that we have access to if you were here Wednesday night for all church prayer that special manifest presence of God settled in on this place it's something you cannot get individually now, I love the presence of God individually, and I've had some great times with the Lord, and I've sensed His presence in a great way, but there is another dimension of the presence of God that you can only get when you're with the people of God. Look at Matthew 18. Don't take my word for it. Look what Jesus said. Matthew 18. This is a very familiar passage. That's why we're always harping on you and love to come to church. That's why when you're out, we call you. And for our friends here from uh, Teen Challenge, let me just encourage you that, that when you get out of the program, get in a good church, a spirit-filled, Bible-believing church. Thank God for churches. Thank God for churches that are preaching the Word. But thank God for churches that honor the person of the Holy Spirit. Thank God for churches that allow the Spirit of God to move and interrupt services. We sang and praised and, and worshiped the Lord for almost 50 minutes on Wednesday night, and we had just a few songs planned. We didn't even know if we would do them all, but the Lord began to minister to people and love on people, and we believe lives were changed because we came together. Look with me at Matthew 18. Jesus said again, I say unto you. Somebody say again. Now, if he's having to say it again, should we pay attention? Is this important? He said, again, I say unto you that if two, or, uh, if two of you agree on earth about anything... I love this. If two or you, two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father in heaven. Oh, if believers actually believe the book. 
If we actually believed when we prayed in faith and asked that God was going to honor and hear our request, if we actually believed it was going to happen, if we had as much faith in starting our car in the morning as we do receiving the promises of God, I think we would see a lot of different results in the body of Christ. It says, if two of you agree, there's the power of agreement. That's why I'll call Pastor Michael and say, hey, we got this situation. Would you agree with me? Bring your faith in and join it up to mine. It says, if you agree on anything that we ask, it will be done for them by my Father who's in heaven. For we're two or three. You know why I don't get sad because I pastor a small church? You know why I don't get pressed, depressed because we don't have a thousand members yet? Or because I don't have a huge platform to minister to hundreds of thousands every week. You know why I can be okay right now with a a small congregation? Because the Bible says it takes two or three and God will show up in our midst. I'm telling you, Wednesday morning, uh, Rick and Michael and myself were praying downstairs and and the glory of the Lord just, just settled in and there was just three of us. Thank God for the crowd. I love it. But I'll take two or three. I'll take one. I'll take me and my wife and my kids at my house and we can experience the manifest presence of God. Jesus is in the midst when His children are together and worshiping and praying and honoring and seeking Him. There's something special. There's a manifest presence that we should seek after. Remember, the presence of God should be honored and valued. That's why never negate praying with someone. Never negate the small group. Never negate the small men's ministry. Because we're two or three gathered, there's a promise He's in the midst. We won't read it, but Revelation 1 and 2, Jesus talks about the seven candlesticks, and they represent the churches. And it says, the one who walks among the candlesticks. And we see a description in Revelation 1 of Jesus like we don't see hardly anywhere else. It says he has fire, and he has strength, and he has power. And it's all because he's walking among the candlesticks. It's all because he's walking among his churches. Jesus loves to be with his church, and he shows up in a mighty, powerful way. When we come together. And we have access to that. Friends, the world doesn't have access to that. Isn't that good news? Look at Acts chapter 4. I want to show you another example. This is a dimension of the presence of God. Lord, take note of their threats. Acts 4.29. Grant that your bondservants would speak with all boldness and confidence. While you extend your hand to heal. Notice when the church comes together, when the manifest presence of God is there, it says we'll see healings and signs and wonders. They'll take place through your your holy servant, through the name of Jesus. Go to the next verse. Look at the next slide. It says, and when they had prayed, when they, when they, the group had prayed, the place that they had gathered was shaken. There is a special manifestation of the presence of God. It says the place was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Now private worship is huge. Private devotion is huge. We're getting ready to launch into a season as a church where we sharpen you and empower you for a greater private devotional life. But the more, the more you do this privately when we come together publicly we'll have an overflow of what God has been doing in our life all week nothing changes corporately if we're not privately seeking the Lord privately reading his word privately giving ourselves over to the spiritual disciplines not because we're hoping for God to 
do do something uh, different than what he's promised not because we're hoping that God will awaken from his nap but we know God is shaking the earth and we know God is wanting to use us and this is aligning us for what God wants to do in the earth when God looks at someone to use and someone to make a difference I want to be I want to be seen of the Lord by my my intimacy with the Lord my private devotion my private reading of God's word it's basically holding the banner that says here I am Lord send me it positions me for God to use me what it does it gives me a bigger hole for God to flow through isn't that what we want and so there's a special manifest presence now let me give you the third powerful principles of the presence of God Number three is God's presence can be experienced. You don't have to live on the outside looking in. You can experience the presence of God. Let me just for a few minutes here as we start to, to wrap this up, let me give you some things I've been meditating on. I talked to Michael and Rick on Wednesday and about how do we enter God's presence. How do we, how do we go from just dry life to being in the presence of God? Have you ever met someone who can be talking about sports? Next thing you know, they're laying hands on you and praying and casting the devil out of you. This just like instantly. They, they go from just being a normal person to just instantly they're in the presence of God and they're speaking a word over you or they're, they're encouraging you. Have you ever been around someone like that? And, and you go, you're, some of you are like a, a percolator. It takes a little time to perk you up and get you going and, you know, it takes some time. How many of you are too young to know what a percolator is? Ask one of these old people in here. They'll tell you. But, but some of you are like the Keurig in the presence of God. You just push the button and instantly you're in the presence of God. But some of you are like the percolator and it takes some time and some time and you wait for the whistle and you wait for the light to come on. And, and then the coffee's so strong you can't even drink it, praise God. But how do we go from taking 30 minutes or an hour or two hours to being able to instantly... And we don't, we don't manipulate this. We can't control this. But there is an element of the Lord, walking with the Lord, where you realize there's something you can tap into. You can be just living normal life, and you can tap into something, another dimension, another level. And let me tell you something. I have been with people before, Pastor Michael, where I have not felt, I've not felt spiritual. I've felt dry as a saltine cracker. I've not been in a good mood. I mean, they would never know, but on the inside, I just don't want to be there. I'm just not. And then some opportunity comes up, and the Lord will need me to pray for someone, and I don't feel like it. I don't feel spiritual. I don't feel like having faith. And Dad, gummit, if I won't pray for them, and God will totally do whatever He needed to do, because it is not about me. It's not about me. It's about being a willing and obedient vessel and learning how to tap into the to another dimension of God's presence. When you need it, when it's called upon. So let me help you with this. How many of you would love to be able to access a, a different dimension of God's presence in your life? Let me tell you how to do this. Just talking through these guys, praying about this. Number one, it's going to help you. I want to give you practical things that you can do. Number one, set your heart to seek the Lord. I know that's a little hard to see. That was my fault. I'll work on the font next time. Set your heart to seek the Lord. Now, I want to I take a minute here, and we're going to travel through some passages I've been studying in the Old Testament. And I want us to see some principles here. Set your heart to seek the Lord. How many of you set an alarm clock? That's why most people are late for church. I see it now. We don't have an alarm users. How many of you have ever set an alarm? 
How many know you have to plan in advance for your alarm? On Sunday mornings, I have four alarms that go off. How many know it's not good for the pastor to be late? And how many know I don't trust my alarms? I do, honestly. I set four alarms. I set one across the other end of the room that I have to actually physically get up and turn off just because I really don't want to be late for church. And so you have to think in advance. You have to prepare in advance. You have to plan. You have to strategically set that alarm. You must set your heart to seek the Lord. It's something you do. God does not do this for you. This is something that you do. God draws you, but you must set and prepare your heart to seek the Lord. And this is not a one-time thing. This is not just on Sundays. But it can actually help our time together. If you would get up on Sunday mornings and just meditate on the Word, and, and, and instead of rushing out the door and fussing with your spouse on the way here, if you would take a few minutes and get up a little bit early, and if you would set your heart that morning and just sit and read the Word and pray over the service, if we all would do that when we come in, I believe we would have an even greater level of the manifest presence of God in our worship services. Look at 2 Chronicles 12. This is really an interesting story. I won't go into all the history here of, of Rehoboam, but I would encourage you to read it in 2 Chronicles 12. I know Pastor Michael has been studying in this. It says, When the kingdom of Rehoboam was established and strong. Now I want you to underline that word in your mind. It was established and strong. Many times when things are going well, we forget how much we need the presence of God. This stuck out to me because when things are good, when things are like they're supposed to be, when there's an order in our life, we, we oftentimes forget how much we need the presence of God. When all the bills are paid, it's easy to forget. Uh, the psalmist said, Lord, in my prosperity, I will not forget you. Why? Because when things are good and everybody's healthy and everything is good, or you're on vacation and the bills are paid and the kids are behaving, it's easy to forget what got you there, and it's the presence of God. Rehoboam was established and strong, and he and all of Israel forsook the Lord. And they became unfaithful to the Lord. And then the king of Egypt came up against them. So their pride, their absence of setting their heart to seek the Lord opened up the door for the evil one. It opened up the door for war. So setting our heart will help us be alert and vigilant in the day of battle. When the enemy come, we will be prepared. Now let's go on down to verse 9. Second Chronicles 12.9 says this, So the king of Egypt, y'all can try to pronounce that at home on your own, Shishak, the king of Egypt. Don't name your kid Shishak. Can I have any man? <laughs> so Shishak, the king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem, and he took treasures of the house of the Lord. Notice here. He robbed the house of God. They had the gold and, and the, the special things in the temple. He robbed the church. He came and took treasures out of the house of the Lord, and he took treasures from the king's palace. He had no regard for the people of God, no regard for the king. He took everything, even the golden shields that Solomon had made. Let me show you this for you. Let me show you this for our family. Let me show you this for our church. Look at verse 14, 2 Chronicles 12, 14. So King Rehoboam, he did evil. Because he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. The greatest error we can make as a church is getting used to church. Getting accustomed to coming together 
getting accustomed to a location, getting accustomed to a community, getting accustomed to, to the way we do things, and, and not taking time to set our heart to seek the Lord. We want you here. We want you to come. But we really desire that when you walk in the door, all week long you've been setting your heart to seek the Lord. That is the ultimate goal of what we're doing in January. The reason we're releasing this is, is we were talking about, we said, what does our church need? The thing that we can give you, the thing that we have evaluated that we need as a church is to take all of us in a deeper, more meaningful relationship with the Lord, including your pastor. I'm signing up for the journey as well because I'm setting my heart. The word set means to establish. It means to fix with determination. It means to be directed and ready, prepared in advance. Just like you set your alarm in advance, we must set our heart in advance. Meaning, whatever happens today, it doesn't matter. My heart is set. My heart is fixed. My heart is prepared on the Lord. Whatever comes my way, whatever trouble, whatever tragedy, whatever triumph, my heart is set on the Lord. It is made ready it is prepared just like the wise men brought gifts to jesus the child jesus they prepared to bring the gifts we prepare and set our heart if we continue in second chronicles there's a king named uzziah who didn't learn the lesson who didn't get this he didn't learn from rehoboam look at verse three in chapter 26 so uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. How many know that's got problems all over it? <laughs> Let me just say this. Let me try to... I think the Lord is saying something here. Let me try to get this out the way I sense it. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. He reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. And his mother was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. There is a danger in getting promoted too fast and too quick. I have seen people with, with giftings get promoted too quick, but they don't have the characters to sustain. Giftings will get you to a place, but character will keep you there. Giftings will elevate you, and sometimes quickly. But character, the daily decision of doing what is right, and integrity will actually keep you there. Giftings honestly don't impress me, ladies and gentlemen. There are people that come in the door, have all kinds of giftings. Giftings, they don't really impress me. All kinds of people in the world have giftings. What's that lady's name that always shaves her hair and is crazy that her dad was from here? What's her name? Miley? Miley Cyrus or whatever her name is? She's got giftings, but how many know there's not much character backing up the giftings? Uh, giftings, they don't impress me. You may have someone coming to the church and they're really gifted and they instantly want something and the Lord would say, Go slow. Go slow. Why? Because sometimes when you wait, there is revealing in the waiting. Now, with, with Kaylee Jackson, where's she at? Is she in here? She's downstairs. I knew when she came here maybe two years ago, they're, they're just a great couple. They had a great reference, and we, we elevated her a little quicker into ministry, in the worship ministry. We had a great need at the time. And, and how many know she's worked out pretty good? Praise God. Yeah, let's give her thanks, even though she, God thinks she's not up here. 
But others may come in and may have this gift, but they may not be used initially. You've got to trust the leadership of the church that we're following the Lord, and, and you can promote too quickly. You can, you can rise. If, if, you were, if I were young in this room, and, and I am, if I were younger than me in this room, I would not be so excited about the, the, just the, the over-quick, fast promotion because there's a lot of dangers that come with that. Let the Lord promote you. Let the Lord. Scripture talks about promotion comes from the Lord. Let the Lord promote you in the right time, not premature. There is a major danger, danger in premature promotion. So I don't know who that's for. Maybe somebody on the Internet listening to the podcast. I don't know. But Uzziah was 16. He was promoted premature. And it says in verse 4, notice this here, He did right in the sight of the Lord. He set his heart. He did right. He's 16. He's trusting God. He's seeking the Lord. And it says he did, did right according to his father. And, and in verse 5, he continued to seek God all the days of Zechariah. He had an older man, the older prophet of God, speaking into his life. In all the days of Zechariah, things were going well. As long as he had a mentor, as long as he had latched on to a man of God, as long as he had someone speaking into his life and helped him be accountable, he was seeking the Lord and things were going good. But verse, it says in verse 5, he had understandings through the vision of God. And look at this. As long as he saw the Lord, God prospered him. When does our church stop prospering? The day we quit seeking the Lord. The day our heart is not set on God. When does my family stop receiving the prosperity of the Lord, the blessings of God? The day that we quit seeking the Lord... As a family, I want to, we won't read it for time's sake, but if you go on down in this chapter, Uzziah was lifted up in pride. He became arrogant. He got out of under spiritual covering. He got out from under the influence of Zechariah. He was lifted up in pride. He went into the temple and began to do things that only the high priest could do. And they come in, they say, Uzziah, God is not pleased with you. Eighty high priests came and encountered the king, and he did not repent. He rejected it and stayed prideful. And right there, God smote him with leprosy. God smote Uzziah with leprosy because he went into the temple in a prideful manner and did what only the high priest could do. They confronted him. He had an opportunity to repent, but he stayed in his pride. He said, I'm the king. I'll do whatever I want to do. And God said, I'll show you. Struck him with leprosy. He finished his miserable life in isolation because he failed to seek God. So we must set our heart in advance on the Lord. And we can experience these dimensions of God's presence. Look at the next one here. I, I phrased this on purpose. I know it may bother some of you. If it does, give me just a few minutes here because I want to explain it. The second way we encounter the presence of God is to put a demand on the presence of God. We must put a demand on the presence of God. Now, I'm not saying we're demanding God. I understand there's some people say 
Who are you to demand God to do anything? I'm not demanding God to do anything. God has already authored His will. God has already established what He wants His kingdom to be. And when I give my vocal cords to it, I'm just calling and saying, Your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. But there is a way that we must learn to as believers. We must put a demand on the presence of God in a good way, in a right way, not in a we're demanding God to do something. God wants to do something more than we want Him to do something. God is waiting on us to put a demand on the anointing of God. You've heard the term anointing. That, is, that accompanies the presence of God. Look at Exodus 33. By put a demand, I mean this. We must totally depend on God's presence. We must demand that our life walk in the presence of God. We must not go without the presence of God. Look at Exodus 33 and verse 13. Moses prays this. He's leading the people out of Israel. I mean, out of Egypt. He's leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. Notice this. Moses says this. He says, I pray that I found grace in your sight. Show me your way that I may know. And, you know, that's a good thing to pray. Show me your way, Lord, so that we would know. And, and it says, you, that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight. And consider this nation as your people. How many know when the people are behaving, Moses said, my people? How many know when they're misbehaving, God, these are your people? <laughs> God, this is my church people. When you're good, when you're bad, God, these are your church people. <laughs> these are your kids. They're my kids when they're behaving, but they're Tara's kids when they're misbehaving. Notice here he said, he said, they are your people. This nation is your people. And look what God said. God said, my presence, my presence shall go with you. And then, the, then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us from here. Moses said, I'm putting a demand on the presence of God, meaning we are not advancing without it. We are not taking one step without the presence of God. We are not taking one step as a family. I'm not buying a car without the presence of God. I'm not making any decisions without the presence of God. God, if, if we go, if you're leading us, and if your presence doesn't go with us, just let us stay right here because we put a demand on your presence. We totally depend on it. Look at the next one. This is one of my favorite ones. We set our heart. We prepare in advance. We put a demand on the presence of God. I mean, we depend on it, Rick. We count on it. We depend on the presence of the Lord. Because in His presence is where that strength and power and joy is. And this is one of my favorites. We must spend time in and around. Say this with me. Say in and around. We must spend time in the presence of God that's at home, privately, in our worship, then we must spend time around. That's why coming to church is so valuable. Coming to Christmas dinners is so valuable. Coming to communion services is so valuable. Participating in our churchwide fast is so valuable. Look at Exodus 33. Just a few scriptures before we, what we just read. Notice this here. I love this. is one of the best passages in all the Bible. Moses used to take a tent. And he would set it up outside of the camp, a good distance from the camp, Exodus 33 and 7. And he called it the tent of meetings. He called it the tent where he would meet God. Now we know God doesn't live in tents and God doesn't live in tabernacles. Now we know God lives within us. We are now the tent of meeting. We are now where God meets with us. And it says he, took, he set out the tent of meeting and everyone who sought the Lord, everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting which was outside the camp. They made a strategic effort to go into the presence of God. 
It's not going to happen accidentally. It's not going to happen just by coincidence. You must set your heart and make a strategic decision that we're going to be in and around the presence of God. And it came about in verse 8, whenever Moses went to the tent, all the people would arise and stand. They honored the presence of God. They honored the presence of God. And at each entrance of the tent, and they would gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. They had an expectation, Pastor Michael. When Moses went into the tent of meetings, he was going to hear from God. When we show up together as a corporate body, we have an expectation that the the power of the Lord himself is going to be present, and we're going to hear from God. We set our eyes. We set our heart. Now Moses, now go on to the next one. Look at the next verse. Whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of the cloud that represented God's presence would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. Now this was pre-infilling of the Holy Spirit. This was pre-Jesus dying and being resurrected. And this was pre-John 20, Jesus breathing on them. Hebrews says that all the promises in the Old Testament are magnified and greater in the New Testament. If, if Moses had access to this, we have a greater opportunity now as Spirit-filled believers. It said Moses would would go into the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses when all the people saw the pillar of the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent. All the people would arise and they would worship each one at the entrance of his tent. Go to the next verse here. Verse 11. The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. We could get into that about the Lord used to. We, we don't have time for that. That's another series, maybe January series. The Lord used to speak to Moses. Notice this here, just as a man speaks to his friend. What communion in the presence of God. He's still honored, he's still respected, but he spoke to God as a friend. But when Moses returned to the camp, remember Moses pitched the tent outside of the camp. He had church. That was his tent of meetings. That's where he went for the presence of God. Something very interesting happened. Something, something that I read that changed my life. Something that put me on a trajectory of the Lord in a powerful way. But when Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun. How many know he didn't have a dad? Joshua was the son of Nun. <laughs> Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man. Remember Joshua? Who took over Moses' job when Moses died? Joshua. Joshua, the young man, would not depart from the tent. He had a hunger for the presence of God. He said, Moses, you can go back and do your leadership stuff. I'm going to hang out here with the presence of God for a little while. I'm going to stay in the presence of God. Church people, we live in a day when churches are closing doors. Churches are canceling services. I hear it from missionaries. Hardly anybody has Sunday night church. Now, we don't have Sunday night church. I'm not saying we're going back to Sunday night church. People are canceling Wednesdays. People are just, just they're, they're cutting back how much they're meeting together. And I know we have schedules. There's not a person in this room that is, is as busy as to seek the Lord. And there ought to be a presence of God when we're together. Even at a Christmas dinner, even at a fellowship, even at an outreach, there should be such a presence of God that you want to be there. Just like Joshua. Joshua said, I can't get enough of God's presence. It's setting your heart to seek the Lord. And in a day when, it, when people are 
coming together less and less and less. We're going to look for strategic, meaningful ways to come together. Not just taking your time, but to provide an opportunity just like Joshua where he stayed in the tent. And that changed my life, ladies and gentlemen. Let's look at the last, last one here. Number C, letter C. Number three, how do we experience God's presence? Feed your spirit. Starve your, what we call flesh, your natural desires. That's why we're doing the fast, so we can feed our spirit and starve our flesh. Romans 8 says, Those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, they set their mind on the things of the spirit. So as a church, we want to set our mind on the things of the spirit. This is the last one. Bruce, if you want to come and help us. This is the last one. Number four. Step out in obedience daily. We were talking about this Wednesday. Pastor Michael said something in a beautiful way that I never thought of before. I said, how do you help someone who doesn't have any concept of God's presence or how to live in the presence of God? How do you help them get to the point where they can experience the tangible manifest presence of God in their family? He said, it's a daily yes. It's just a daily yes. Meaning every single day we offer to obey the Lord. Meaning if God calls Rick to minister to someone on the side of the road that day, he says yes. If God calls Andrea to pray a special way over her students, she says yes. If God calls Linda to give to a cause, come down just here, Bruce, if you can. If God calls Linda to minister to, to give to a cause, Linda says yes. It's the daily, daily obedience. It's daily saying yes. Look at this very powerful passage of Scripture in John 14. Last one. Jesus said, You ask anything in my name and I will do it. And if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll say yes. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Not, not, not in a legalistic way, but the more we love God, the more we're in His presence, the more we say yes. The more we follow Him. Jesus said, I will ask the Father. He'll give you another helper. That is the Holy Spirit. He'll be with you forever. The presence is with you forever. That's the spirit of truth that the world cannot receive because it does not see Him or know Him. But yet you know Him because He abides with you and will be in you. It says, I will ask the Father. You obey. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will send the Holy Spirit to you who will never leave you. He will be with you forever. Meaning there's a special dimension of the presence of God when we obey. When we obey, there's a new level that we can experience in God's presence. So the word for the church, I believe, is set your heart. I believe that's the word for you and your family. Set your heart in advance. On the presence of God. In His presence is fullness of joy. And pleasures at His right hand.